You are listening to a Modern Nonprofit Podcast, a podcast for leaders of today's nonprofits. We focus on the most pressing issues in a modern nonprofit, from grant writing and fundraising to back office administration like accounting. If you are looking for tips and hacks to make your nonprofit more modern and intentional, you've come to the right place. I'm your host, Tasha Anderson. I've worked with hundreds of nonprofits over many years in different capacities, first as an auditor, then a CFO of a nonprofit, and now I'm a CPA that owns the Charity CFO, an accounting firm working exclusively with nonprofit organizations. I'm passionate about trying to make the work of nonprofits even easier through the most modern practices I've learned from some of our most successful clients. Keep listening. Hey friends, welcome back. I'm really excited to talk about corporate giving today. And today I went ahead and invited my new friend, Lori Zoskraska, right, Lori? That's uh, right. Lori, Lori, you are the founder of Growth Owl. And that's right is an organization that works with nonprofits and other mission-based businesses to get the support of their corporate partnerships, right? That's correct. Question all the time, just from small startup organizations that might have an individual giving following, but they're trying to branch into more sophisticated funding, especially on the corporate side. So Lori, you and I in our chat before had mentioned that you do some training, consulting, sometimes you work directly with the organizations to get their foot um, in the door with some of this corporate work. And you should know better than anyone with all of your time that you spent um, in major players working in the nonprofit space, PBS, NPR, um, lots of experience in the corporation. So I'm really excited to talk about this and dive into the conversation. Um, For anybody that just listened, and we'll recap again, but Lori, not only are you a founder of an organization, not only do you have lots of experience in the space, but you've recently written a book, which I'm sure will come up in the conversation at some point or another. That's right. Your book is called what? It is called The Boardroom Playbook, The Not-So-Ordinary Guide to Finding Corporate Funding for Your Purpose-Driven Organization. Love that. So we're going to talk more about that here in a little bit. So right out the gate, Lori, thank you, first of all, for coming on board. Um, oh, no problem. With us, like I said, this comes up a lot in the clients that we work with um, here at the Charity CFO. But I think what's really interesting, and I'm also a founder, and so, um, and you are too, and so uh, not just in our professional work, uh, working with nonprofits, but we've had to learn the art of an elevator pitch and selling our business. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, not just professionally, but in some sort of personal level, we can, I think, relate to our nonprofit clients that are needing to pitch their business, whether it's for donations or for sales. I pitch this business all the time, right? And that elevator elevator pitch is key, whether it's just uh, at a cocktail party, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, here we go. Um, <laughs> what do I do? Um, so right. what would you say um, for these organizations um, that maybe they don't have a good elevator pitch or maybe they have a founder or a leader that's struggling to articulate what they do, what is your best advice for creating an elevator pitch specifically for the potential funders. Yeah, so if I'm thinking about, as you said, that it's specifically for the funders, I think the number one point is you might have to be flexible as to keeping this pitch a bit organic. It's going to change depending on the funder you're talking to. So you wanna make sure that what it is your organization is doing resonate specifically with the corporation that they're speaking that they're speaking with right so Mm -hmm. you want to be as specific as possible so if if you are an organization that's into you know marine biology issues you know you want to save a dolphin save a turtle what what have you um you want to make sure that you're finding another organization that shares those same pillars and values 
within their CSR or corporate philanthropy, but taking it a step further, what within your messaging jives within the messaging of that specific corporation? So I think the number one place to start with that pitch is making sure that it's organic enough to be customized for mm -hmm. each funder you're going to. So it's not just you're putting together one elevator pitch and you know it and you can recite wow. it 100%. Mm -hmm. No, it's about flexibility. Mm -hmm. um, also, brevity is your friend. <laughs> I'm going to be emphasizing this throughout our entire time together. I think where a lot of nonprofit fundraisers get a little stuck is they tend to go on and on a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Remember, a lot of the work that we do when we're trying to engage a corporation, it's it's kind of like dating. So, yeah. you know, you're just trying to get a first date. You're, you're not asking to be married on that first date. So just giving a little information, but really focusing on what your mission, vision, and values are, and how do they connect with the mission, vision, and values of the company that you're pitching? Mm -hmm. If you can recite that easily, flawlessly, right away, not only person to person, but within an email or in a voicemail, that's just going to really soar you up the chain in terms of people wanting to respond to you. Because people, especially in, in corporate, in higher level corporate, are going to respond best when your communication is clear, concise, and brief. I love that you say that, clear, concise, and brief. And I've shared this so many times on this podcast, but I meet, as you would imagine, lots and lots and lots and lots of nonprofits. Yeah. And I like to be fairly savvy on understanding what they do. I can go to the 990, I'll go to their website, look at their yes. board, I'll go to their website. You know, I, I'm trying to really understand what they do, um, especially because I probably work with similar clients. So when I'm looking to pitch my business, I want to have that relatability factor, right? Oh, yes, I've worked with other clients like you, right? Well, so many times when I've either done my initial research and it's not clear to me what the organization does, and even when I get on the phone, or a Zoom call or what have you, with individuals within the organization, um, the description is so big. It's so mm -hmm. robust, so many words. Um, it's very confusing. And there are some times I'm thinking, I still don't know what they do, but I'm afraid to ask again. And I just <laughs> like to think for me, I'm just an accountant. You know, I'm not trying to necessarily give money. And so sometimes to your point, um, simple is better clear, um, concise, making it really just well understood what it is you do. And, and I come across this all the time. And I think in the nonprofit world, we like to create and use buzzwords and, and you know, really thoroughly mm -hmm. explain where we're, you know, relationship people, we want them to understand, but sometimes it's a little much. You know, I think it goes back to what is the true intention of that first communication? And mm -hmm. our, our minds at fundraisers, sometimes it's, We've, we've got to make the pitch and we've got to get that funding, but that's incorrect. The intention is we just want to get them interested enough to have a second conversation. Mm -hmm. So when you take that pressure off yourself, it's yeah. going to help you to bring more brevity into it. And it's going to help you better streamline your thoughts when you're having a conversation. Mm -hmm. So that's another tip. Don't think so far out as to, we need to yeah. get the funding from this conversation. We just need to get the okay for a second conversation. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. It really does take a lot of pressure off when you don't think yes. I have to close this sale. I have to get them to commit. I have to have the ask um, and the pressure, even if it's not the right time. Um, but just your goal is just that next conversation. I love that. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
So let's say we've kind of identified a corporate partner potentially that, that seems yes. aligned with what we're doing. We, we've done a little bit of research and we've figured out, hey, um, they seem like they're interested in similar causes such as us. And we either they've uh, made it public that they're looking for um, a partner to to um, you know be generous with, or maybe we want to approach them with some sort of proposal. What do you think these corporate funders are looking for in an effective proposal? Well, something I talk about in my book, The Boardroom Playbook, I have a whole chapter on avoiding pumpkin spice proposals. Mm. So let me just give you a little brief on that. So, you know, when you think about pumpkin spice latte, it's it's, it's all the rage, right? Especially we've just left that fall. So we're still yeah. kind of in fall season, but you know what I mean? It gives it that extra spice, right? Mm -hmm. But sometimes you just need the coffee. Mm -hmm. And that's where I go with pumpkin spice proposals. The proposals that I see and the feedback I get from very high level corporate decision makers is there's usually way too much. Again, going back to brevity, some of the areas that I hear the most about are too much clip art, too mm -hmm. many pictures. One of my favorite comments was, you don't need to put us in the about us section. The section we know who we are, oh, <laughs> you know. So you know, I thought you know that that's really interesting, and they want to know right up front. Again, going back to that message of connection, why them? Tell mm -hmm. us right up front why us. Why are you coming to us? Mm -hmm. And and be specific. So right up front in that proposal. You know, a lot of times I'll see the about us, the about the organization, and we're like five pages in before we see the actual ask. Yeah. And what they're saying and everything I see with effective proposals is that the, the ask is much further up front. But before that, mm -hmm. we want to see that why. And yeah. what other activity has that corporation done that makes sense? So if you see similar nonprofits doing work with this corporation, mm -hmm. reference that in your proposals. Hmm. Uh, sometimes I hear from, from clients that they don't like to reference other nonprofits. Why not? Right. Uh, you know, going back to Cialdini's persuasion, which I talk a lot about in my book is social proof. You hmm. know, if other nonprofits are involved with this corporation, there's a good chance they'll be involved with you if it, if it makes sense. So, you know, those are a couple of tips, even physically keep proposals. I like to say no more than five pages Make mm -hmm. sure you're using 11 to 12 point font. And I got glasses and, <laughs> mm -hmm. and make sure it's not a crazy font, you know, stick with Arial, Times New Roman, even Calibri is good. But these are all things that I've heard from VP and higher level folks at, at large Fortune 500 corporations that they're looking for. Get to that connection up front. We don't need all the other fluff. So my biggest piece of advice, stay away from the pumpkin spice proposal. Just mm -hmm. be very clear as to the why, break out what the ask is and what you want to happen next. Mm -hmm. And my last piece of advice is to end with true appreciation for their time. It's very easy to end a proposal with thank you so much. You know, how many proposals just say thank you? Put in some sort of, you know, statement about appreciation. You know, something like we realize that you're speaking to possibly hundreds of nonprofits. Yeah. We truly appreciate the time you're putting into reviewing this. Yeah. And that that really puts you ahead of some other nonprofits that maybe aren't thinking that way of the proposal. I love that. So 
also in the proposal process, there's the initial, what should you do in terms of, you know, what to do, what not to do with proposals. And I loved everything you said, keeping it brief. It's, it's interesting. I get requests um, for proposals from nonprofits. And some of these are like 40 pages long. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And all of the different components that go into it. And then I thought if somebody sent this to me, there's no way I would read it. (laughs) (laughs) Bullets and get my attention to the point where I'm, and and not just from, you know, a donor standpoint, but any relationship that I'm spending money with, right. Um, Help me understand why this makes sense for me. And then get me interested enough, like you said, to continue that next conversation. So anyway, those are helpful tips on what your proposal should look like, but is there any other advice you would give on how to get your specific proposal to stand out differently than other nonprofits that might already be following some of these same kind of rules, if you will, on presentation? Yeah. So obviously ahead of time, the research that you do is imperative. So most people will say, of course, check the website, check annual reports. I like to go much further further down the rabbit holes, as they say in my research. So look at their reports in corporate social responsibility, um, ESG, uh, DEI. You'll get a lot, a good sense as to what those companies are doing. And a lot of cases, they'll have specific case studies and specific cases of support in -hmm. some of the other areas that they're supporting. So that's all helpful for you. I also love LinkedIn. LinkedIn. I'm a huge fan of LinkedIn. I use it every day. I like to get to know my decision maker as best as I can. So I look at their LinkedIn profiles and not just what they do every day, but what are their interests? Right. I find that professionals on LinkedIn are being are much more open writing about the things they're interested in, not just what they're doing on the job per se, but maybe other boards that they sit on that you might not even thought of as a possibility for you. There could be a whole other area for you to submit with this person, right? And, and you know, where did they go to school? Maybe there's an alumni connection there. So I really think that for a really effective proposal, you could really customize it if you do a little more research on the front end besides just the website and the annual report. Yeah, I can see that absolutely being the case, not just on, especially on a local, if you're going after local corporations, I don't know about where you're at, but I I'm in St. Louis. We like to joke. This is, you know, the, the biggest small town ever, everybody, you know, they say like six degrees of separation. I think it's like three degrees of separation anyway. And to be able to meet, to make that connection and understand who that they know, what other businesses or organizations are they related to, or at least they're familiar with and connected with. Social media makes that so much easier. There's so much information out there. It's it's incredible. And and what uh, yeah, professional groups are they in? Maybe LinkedIn groups that they're in. Yeah. Um, there's all sorts of learning to be had um on on that kind of research. Absolutely. And even some of the more social groups, I tell a fun story about a decision maker that myself and one of my employees years ago was trying to tap for so long. And this person had quite a reputation for being interested and then going away, ghosting, right? So turns out that I was connected to this decision maker via a Facebook group about rescue dogs, which is something that I'm very passionate about, as was this person. Mm -hmm. So lo and behold, because of that connection, we were able to get something going as well as a very nice letter of intent. So you just never know, go the extra mile. You just, you just never know until you look to see how you're connected. Absolutely. Which I think is a good tip to be intentional about being in the know, right? And yes. you never know who you're going to have to come in contact with. You never know yes. 
what kind of connections will be made. And so what I love about social media is, you know, back at the beginning of my career, you had to go out in physical places and connect people and work with people. And there's so much more flexibility with social media. And I think COVID helped that cause and push that agenda even further. You can really connect in online communities as well. And so just being involved and being connected um, to those spaces will will serve. I mean, they can't hurt. So no, (laughs) yeah, no, the world has gotten smaller because of the internet and social media, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. So a lot of funding opportunities come by way of written grant applications, right? Mm -hmm. I see these a lot because we help with the budgets on those. Um, but there are some cases where maybe you have to formally present. I've seen a handful of my clients have to do this. Any tips or recommendations if you are actually going to be presenting formally in front of people? What, what would you suggest that? Well, first, I want to thank you for bringing up that there are opportunities outside of grants. I'll even tell you in my own work, I'd say 95% of my business has nothing to do with the traditional grant cycle. It is truly relationship building with different areas of the corporation, whether it be corporate CSR, DEI, corporate philanthropy, corporate marketing, what have you. So thank you for, because I think that's really important. So there will be times, yeah, that you have to fly somewhere or just, you know, go downtown or what have you and, and go in person. So I like to say that my old theater roots when I was in high school in college are very influential in, in how I run in in terms of preparing. So I'm a big fan of rehearsal. So if you know that you're going to be in a room, if you can't be in that actual room, find a room of a similar size, rehearse your pitch, bring people in, provide feedback. Uh, I'm a big fan of having lots of H2O around, you know, besides water helping you just to keep your mouth, you know, um, dry, uh, take take the dryness out of your mouth and, and to give you some H2O, There's also a lot of studies that if you're doing a presentation and you lose your thought, take Mm -hmm. a moment, take a sip of water. And a lot of times that just brief shot of water helps to get you back on track. So I'm a big fan of preparing yourself with with a lot of water. The other, if you're also someone that's kind of, you know, you like pitching anywhere, but in a room, (laughs) bring a comfort item. So what I mean by a comfort item is make sure it's something that is also room appropriate. So you're not going to bring like a stuffed animal or, you know, a baby blanket or something, but a a few ideas. I I worked with a a young woman that had a water bottle with a picture of her kids on it. Mm. And anytime that she felt like she was off kilter, she'd look at that, she'd feel better. And it was also a great conversation piece. I also worked with a gentleman that he was kind of in a slump per se, having trouble getting some funding in. I went on a presentation with him. He brought his father's old watch and his mm-hmm. father was a very successful VP of sales. Mm-hmm. And to this day, I keep in touch with him. He still uses it, kind of refocuses him, you know, keeps him motivated to do a good job. So little things like that, but really preparation is key. When I was in public media and I would do what we would call on-air pitching during pledge periods for membership, I would practice in my car on mm-hmm. my way there. And mm-hmm. because of all the technology we have, it doesn't look so funny if people look at you in your car talking to yourself anymore right, right. because hands-free devices, right? Yeah. So preparation really is key. If you can rehearse you make sure you've got all your handouts ready, know who's going to be in the room it's going to be a much successful, much more successful experience for you. I love that. That's all really helpful. Um, 
you know, I do a lot of public speaking. It's, it's nerve wracking. And I think yes, okay to embrace that. Uh, and I think some people assume that it's comfortable, more comfortable for others. And, and maybe it is, but there's, there's certainly elements of preparation that you can do down to what I tell people, you know, what you wear, feel comfortable, feel confident yes. in it. Um, kind of channel, uh, that was an interesting story about um, the person you were working with that had his father's watch that also happened to be really good at sales. So yes. kind of channeling some of that, um, like you said, and just kind of being prepared. And and sometimes I think it's okay to say, you know, thank you for your time. I'm a little nervous or overwhelmed or, you know. Whatever. Absolutely. You know, audiences, no matter if it's an audience of two or you're in theater, audiences are generally very forgiving. So there's nothing wrong with being a little bit vulnerable. Usually it goes a long way. Yeah. Yeah. So those are all really good tips. Um, Any other final thoughts or words of wisdom on corporate funding um, or dealing or engaging with corporate funding, uh, the the decision makers, any, any more thoughts on how to, okay, these are all really helpful tips. How can I actually get in touch with one? So I like to tell people that those that are most successful at doing this. And it really is a, it is a, it is an art. (laughs) You know, I have a lot of friends that do amazing work in individual giving or planned giving or on on the financial side, like yourself. And I'm in awe by it. And they look at me and they're like, well, how do you do what you do? (laughs) Right. Probably the best piece of advice I can give somebody first is understand and empathize what a corporate decision maker is going through. And I like to call this a corporate depth perception. Mm. How empathetic can you be to the corporate process? So for instance, if you know that, you know, from pitch all the way to getting a final yay or nay could take a few months, you have to engage respectfully and respect their time. So there's a process to that. So mm-hmm. instead of checking in every week, as somebody might do, understand that although this is priority number one for you to get this funding, this yeah. is priority number 10,000 for your decision maker. Right. If you can somehow empathize with that and even reference that in your communications, again, that, that moves you up in their eyes. So being able to empathize is is really key that I think can definitely make you successful. In terms of contacting corporate folks, I really encourage everybody to go as high up the chain as possible. Mm-hmm. That is my philosophy. When I'm doing outreach out uh, on behalf of nonprofits, I do not outreach to lower than a vice president. Mm. And I do my best to outreach to the C-suite. Mm -hmm. And the reason I do is because if I am referred to somebody else, then I'm a soft referral. I've got the chief development officer or a chief marketing officer or chief DEI officer basically saying, I want you to talk to so-and-so. Sure. So they're going to talk to me, right? (laughs) So I really believe in going as high up as you can. And with tools like Rocket Reach now, where you can easily find email addresses uh, for some very high level people, it's a lot easier to access them. And if you take the tools we talked about earlier, being brief, making that connection right up front, I, you're in great shape. Keep your emails initially to 150 words or less. Mm-hmm. A lot of people struggle with that, but if you can do that, you're really going to get a decision maker's attention and it works for myself and my clients all the time. So those are a few tips for engaging corporations. 
I love Laura. You said that I always tell my sales team, you know, if somebody has to scroll even just once, like yes. if you're on right. your phone and you have to scroll more than once, it's yeah. got to shorten it. Um, I know that from my own experience, if I get a really long one to do and I have to scroll, I'm, no, I'm not doing that. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe yeah. get back to my computer later on and, you know, but most people check their emails on their phones. So that's Laura, right. Can I throw one more question at you? I just popped Please. up really curious about, you know, so we work with a lot of, you know, I would say smaller end clients. I mean, typically our clients are less than 10 million, right? Yes. And they might typically have a fundraising professional, um, let's just say director of development. Um, and I think one of the challenges with, with probably any profession, but is understanding the difference between someone really gifted in you know, grant writing versus corporate giving versus yes. individual giving. And you had mentioned that you, you know, have had colleagues or friends that do really, really well on the individual giving side, but that's not your area. That's right. Highlight some of the differences between some of those for anybody listening that might have hired somebody um, experienced in corporate giving, but they're really struggling with the fact that um, their person is not um, super effective in individual giving, or maybe they hired an individual giver, didn't realize they did, and frustrated that they're not doing corporate giving um, very well. Um, I don't know if there's anything that you can offer just from just kind of some understanding a little bit more about the differences between the types of fundraisers um, and what to take into consideration. So I first preface this by saying, everybody's situation is different. I don't want people to think just because you're an individual giving doesn't mean you can't come over to corporate or vice versa. Sure. I'm not trying to say that. But if you think about the most successful organizations, let's take a sports team, for example. If you take a football team, you have someone who specifically, name the quarterback, who throws the ball. You have specifically defense. You have specifically offensive players, special teams players, right? Yeah. And, you know, in, in a traditional corporate structure, you have people in marketing. You have people in promotions. You have people in, in finance. So yeah. that's why it's very interesting to me that when we get into the world of development and nonprofit, there's this thought that trans, you know, you can cross over fairly easy. Mm -hmm. where I, I don't think so. That has not been my experience. And mm -hmm. again, I, I don't mean it's could to be for everybody, but I just think that there are, there are certain strengths mm -hmm. that people have in corporate giving experience that are different than strengths that people in individual membership have in giving. Mm -hmm. um, I will say that persuasion techniques are the same but how you execute them can be very different. You know, from an individual giving, there's a lot of psychological principles with corporate giving, it's most sociological principles because you're dealing with groups of people versus the individual. Sure. So, you know, those are just little nuances, mm. but I don't want to dissuade people from taking a little bite of the other, of the other area, you know, because I think it's good to be interested and well-rounded, but I do think it's important that nonprofits reflect other types of organizations that understand there are specialties. And, you know, if, if you want to have surgery on your leg, you're not going to go to an ears, nose and throat doctor. Right. right. <laughs> so th that's kind of my two cents on that one. That's helpful. That's helpful. Well, and because when I work with our different clients, you know, we hired a new development director, they have this background or that background. Yeah. It's a little bit more generalist generalist, but I find that really fascinating that, um, and, and challenging, right. And small businesses, I own a small business. I work with yeah. happen to be nonprofit organizations. And it's one of the challenges where really, when you think of something as simple as a, 
a fundraising professional that they are um, just gifted in all things fundraising, right? And right. when you peel the layers back, you realize there's very unique um, skills and sets of experience that would make you successful in this type of fundraising versus that. And of course we want it all. And, and then as a leader of a nonprofit really struggling with like, which is the right experience I need for right now in my you know short to long-term goals. So um, I think we experienced that in all businesses. Um, you know, I just hired a marketing coordinator and saying, well, that's, that's a huge broad category, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> what type of marketing? Um, and it varies so much. So that that's really helpful. Even um, within corporate. Cause like I said earlier, my technique usually has nothing to do with going after corporate grants. While there are other professionals that do what I do, all they work in is corporate grants. So we fall under the corporate category, but there's even subdivisions to that. And I think you just have to choose the, the things that resonate best with your organization, as well as in terms of the players that you have, what are their strengths? play to their strengths. If it's plan giving an individual membership, stick with that, you know? So uh, I don't think you have to be all things to all people, but it is good to know what else is out there in terms of resources. Definitely. And thank you for clarifying that too, Lori, because I think when a lot of times people think of corporations, they wait around and they wait for a corporation to announce some sort of campaign where they're giving money and you submit an application. But I think what we're talking about today is identifying who could be a good corporate partner with you connecting with them, engaging with them and starting the conversation, even if they don't, maybe they haven't considered um, philanthropy, maybe they haven't considered um, partnering with a local national or regional organization and you kind of initiating that conversation um, and connection rather than just kind of waiting for, you know, the big companies of the world to announce this is what this is what this is. Um, You describe that beautifully. A big (laughs) part of what I do, I have nonprofits that say, Lori, yes, we are in the best position to be able to express what we do, but we just can't get in the door. Mm -hmm. I basically am the mouthpiece to get you in the door and you take (laughs) it from (laughs) there. Some clients, I take it all the way to fruition where I take them all the way to getting the funding. But many of my clients just don't know how to engage or they just don't have the time to engage with corporate decision makers. And it's just getting them in and they take it from there. Yes. I would guess I've never done corporate fundraising, but I would guess because I, I do sell to C-suite people all the yes. time. Um, persistence, um, yes. follow, a follow-up is, yes. I would imagine. And probably being a little bit more, I don't know if it's aggressive, assertive, persistent, then is out of your normal comfort zone, right? Um, yes, but you have to be persistent but, um, you know, not where you're being too crazy about it. You know, be respectful of their time. That is the biggest yeah. thing going back to that corporate depth perception, having empathy for what they do. Yes. And some of it is just, you just got to jump in and swim to try yeah. it out because yeah. every corporation is like its own individual person they have their own culture. They have their own way of doing yeah. things. And just because it worked one way with Goldman Sachs doesn't mean it's going to work that way with Pfizer. Yeah. So you've just got to, the best way to do it is just to jump in and swim. That's exactly <laughs> right. That's exactly right. So Lori, I'm sure people are going to listen to this and they want to be connected with you in some way. You had mentioned yeah. then, um, but I know you you have a new book um, or at least, you know, a conversation. Oh, it is a new book. Yeah, you recently. It is, yeah. 
Okay. I thought so. I thought it was new. And then I just saw I'm like, yeah, new book. Um, if people want to read your book or just get connected with you, where's the best place that, that people can go to find you? Yeah. So if you're interested in checking out my new book, it's called the boardroom playbook and you can go right to Amazon. So just go to oh. Amazon, type in the boardroom playbook and it's available and printed version as well as Kindle. Okay. Uh, if you're interested in learning more about what I do, you can go to thegrowthowl.com. And you'll see a list of my services, some of the work I do, as well as some media I'm involved in, what have you. And then, of course, you can find me as well on LinkedIn, Facebook, and on Twitter. All right. Well, that is super helpful. We'll put that in the show notes as well. Lori, thank you again. This has been an awesome conversation. Really interesting. I've not had a conversation specifically about corporate giving. So I, I found all of this super helpful. And I think our, our listeners will too. Thanks That's again. great. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to a modern nonprofit podcast powered by the Charity CFO. If your nonprofit is needing help with accounting or bookkeeping, head on over to thecharitycfo.com to find information on the work we are doing with other nonprofits. If you found this information helpful, please give us a five-star rating on your podcast streaming platform so other nonprofit leaders can find us. We appreciate your support and we'll see you on the next episode.